0: Theology of the Body Institute. This is
1: the Ask Christopher West Podcast.
0: Well, hello, everyone. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode. We're so happy to be with you. When we were walking over to the office here, Wendy, we have, for our listeners' sake, we have a my office, my home office, is off of our garage, which is a separate building. So we are walking from our home over to the office. And today, the day we're recording this, is February 28th, 2023. And we saw purple flowers.
1: Crocuses. What the heck?
0: End of February. Our flowers are blooming. What's going on? I think I'm beginning to believe in global warming a little bit. It seems that my wife is giving me a strange look. What?
1: I have two thoughts. One is I don't think it's a weird time to see crocuses. And the Why other is it...
0: I think it's when they come. No, 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 no. Yes. No, I beg to differ. Okay. Those crocuses <laughs> come typically at the like towards the end of March into April. It's the end of February. It's like a month early, it seems to me. Okay. My wife doesn't believe. My <laughs> my wife is of a different opinion.
1: I feel like I need to start charting each year. When do we see the crocuses so we have clarity about this?
0: All right. I think, do it. Okay. Okay. Next year. Yes. Next, well, if next year is another warm year like this, it's going to be very... I also saw... What? At our other studios at the Retreat Center down yeah. the street... I saw, what are the yellow ones? Daffodils? Def, uh, are they daffodils? Or is it on a bush? No, 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 not on a bush. It's a long green stem and a yellow. Yeah. What are those? Daffodils? Daffodils. Daffodils. I don't know the names of flowers. Anyway, <laughs> I saw daffodils starting to bloom. That's early. Am I right or am I that right That could
1: be right? early. We have had a warm winter. I yeah, will agree with that's you. That's my only point. Okay. It could be early for you daffodils. Can, you can
0: tell, all you listeners, there's a little tension in the air. <laughs> a little disagreement here
1: about the flowers. About the, These are important topics, very right? Important to, we better be in agreement. We got to work this one out. Watch out.
0: Don't go to bed angry at your spouse. We're going to be up late tonight.
1: I don't think so.
0: All right.
1: Hey, I like the signs of spring. I I do. I'm not a winter girl.
0: I like the signs of spring when it's spring. I don't okay. like the signs of spring in winter. I feel like the earth is confused. But anyway, we're moving right along. <laughs> Um, I have some things to share about uh, what's going on at the TOB Institute. Yes,
1: please do. We're all interested.
0: Okay. We have a Theology of the Body Level 2 course coming up online. So if you've already taken the Level 1 course uh, and you want to keep going, check out TOB 2. That's in the show notes to learn more. If you did not listen to... It might have been last week or the week before. I can't keep it all straight. But very recently, Wendy and I recorded one of our podcast episodes on video for the YouTube channel. We we do that every once in a while. So check out the video version of the recent podcast episode that we did on our YouTube channel. And while you're on our YouTube channel, start poking around. We have so many videos on our YouTube channel. If you want to become a missionary of this message, and share the the good news of John Paul's theology of the body with others, just start poking around and watching some of those videos and getting them out, sharing them with friends and family. In fact, I did a series a couple years ago now where I went through my entire Good News About Sex and Marriage book and presented in video form answers to a hundred, nearly 150 of the most Asked Questions About Church Teaching on Sexual Morality and Marriage, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Uh, check out that series on our YouTube channel. I'm doing now these kind of longer-form conversations with people on the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. You can check out those. And we have um, Bill Dunahy is doing a series with Father Patrick Schultz called The Way of Wonder. This is one of those really cool acronyms, Way of Wonder. Yeah. Which, wow. Wow, yeah. Pretty cool. I mean, sometimes acronyms are stupid. That one's perfect. This one really works. Way of Wonder. Check that out. And our staff member, Elizabeth Busby, has a series on our YouTube channel called Discerning Marriage. So check that out. And I can't not add an invitation to a new pilgrimage that we have added in 2023. Jen Settle also on staff at the T.O.B. Institute, is leading a pilgrimage to Mexico City in June of this year, 2023. So check out the link to that. And you've heard us talk quite a bit about the pilgrimage we are leading in October, which is filling up fast. So we're going to France and um, where it's going to be a river cruise and Wendy's coming on this one. So if that's of interest, check out the link for that. That was awesome. Yeah. And there's more, but We'll save that for another episode.
1: (laughs) That was really good. There's
0: always a lot going on.
1: It's awesome. I'm grateful that we are both part of this
0: work. I'm grateful, Wendy, for your being grateful for it.
1: Shall we go on with the question now? The first one is from a patron named Dan.
0: Hello, patron named Dan. Thank you so much for your monthly support of our mission. So grateful to you.
1: Hi, Christopher and Wendy. A recent episode of The Chosen focused on impurity laws in the Old Testament, as in one is, quote, unquote, unclean if they have a bodily discharge, even though it is through no fault of their own. I know we are no longer bound by them, but what was the line of thinking at the time when these laws were given?
0: Yeah, Dan, thank you so much for that question. I remember watching that episode of The Chosen as well, and there's there's a lot of room for confusion jp2 addresses this confusion in his theology of the body uh, i just happen to know the audience it's audience number 50 of his theology of the body where he introduces the concept of purity as life according to the holy spirit and the point that he raises there in his theology of the body is that in the old testament there was a very external understanding of purity. It was understood as purity and impurity of the body, and that could be caused by dirty hands, that could be caused by dirty feet, that could be caused by bodily discharges like uh, semen for men. If they'd have a wet dream, they would be impure. Uh, Remember impurity here. We're, We're so used to impurity as a matter of the heart as Christians, that it's, it's hard for us to get into the Old Testament mentality. They didn't understand, by and large, impurity as a matter of the heart. Impurity was a matter of a body that was physically unclean. Dirty hands, dirty feet, bodily discharges, uh, semen for men, a, a woman's period made her, quote, ritually unclean. But this is, again, in a, in a physical sense Right? JP2 is very, very clear in his theology of the body that, that Christ redirects the whole conversation from external purity and impurity to inter- internal purity and impurity. Purity of the heart, right? And there is no external impurity, be it dirty hands or dirty feet. Or a flow of blood or a flow of semen. There is no external reality that in and of itself, making the body clean, unclean, would thereby make the heart unclean. Uh, I, I'm aware of that little sense that when I said semen for men, well, what about masturbation? Yeah, that would that's a moral fault, but I'm talking here about nocturnal emissions where that would make a man ritually unclean if he had a nocturnal emission in the Old Testament understanding as a physical impurity. But there is no impurity of the heart in that. The whole conversation in the New Testament shifts from purity and impurity of the body to purity and impurity of the heart. And here, purity is critical if we are to see the world as God sees the world, right? If we are to see that the body is theological, if we are to see that the entire world is sacramental, in in that it, it speaks of the mysteries of God, only the pure of heart are able to see those things. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Nothing of external purity makes us impure in an internal sense, in a moral sense, it is abundantly clear from the New Testament, and that's what JP2 essentially says in, in TOB.
1: Yeah, I'm actually—I saw that episode of The Chosen, which, by the way, we were really um, blessed by watching yeah. that um, season three of The Chosen. Um, really a gift to our family. Um, and that episode certainly had a very powerful, powerful scene— of Christ just embracing, or at least having such a a personal encounter with the woman who who was healed of her many years of hemorrhage. So touching, um, and so personal, and so opposite the feeling of the whole Torah reading, which felt impersonal and unkind, (laughs) those kinds of things. So we're certainly seeing that contrast just by watching the episode. and I'm also listening to the Bible in a year recorded by Father Mike Schmitz a couple years ago. I just happened to be listening to it this year along with some friends. So I've been hearing a lot of these Old Testament rules, and they are difficult to process from our vantage point. Yeah. of Christ has come and informed our lives and our understanding of words that... Um, you know, it makes it a a real challenge sometimes to hear these Old Testament um, prescriptions. And I think some of it, you know, is just trying to get into the sense of the ancient world and um, some of the things that were included had health benefits for God's people. Some of them simply set them apart, gave them that word, be holy, also means be set apart. And there was something of the way their lives were ordered by God um, that that gave them frequent reminders that they belonged to him through simply observing the things that um, he set out for them. Um, but it, it's so far away from where we are now that it's it's hard to know what to do with it sometimes.
0: Yeah, the, the fundamental transformation from external purity and all the rituals surrounding it to the internal reality with which we're familiar today actually happens at the wedding feast of Cana. Mm. Because, think of this, and JP2 mentions this in the Theology of the Body, the the water that Jesus used to transform it into wine came from the jars, those big stone jars that were used for ritual cleansing. Mm. And so part of the symbolism here is is this transformation from an understanding of external purity. They use that water to wash themselves externally to make themselves ritually clean. Yeah. Now it's transformed into the wine, which is a symbol, of course, of Christ's blood, which transforms us internally. Right? The new wine of the gospel that comes through Christ transforms us internally, and it is a gift. This is another thing that J.P. Two underscores in his reflection on purity and the 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 move, the development from the Old Testament to the New Testament understanding, is. The Jews had this idea that they could make themselves pure or clean through their ritual cleansings. In the New Testament, we come to understand there's nothing I can do in and of myself, of my own accord, that will make myself clean or pure. I have to open to a gift of grace, and I have to allow that grace to transform me and cleanse me internally. And this is a long lifetime journey, but it is so worth it. We make, by God's grace, we make progress as we continue to follow Christ, and we enter ever more deeply, JP2 says, into the freedom for which Christ has set us free. So let us drink deeply of that new wine, that grace that cleanses us on the inside. I love that. Yeah. Good that stuff.
1: Ritual cleansing water becomes Be- becomes uh, becomes the the gift of inner
0: life. Yeah, so so and and here also is a new a, a very important part about the point about the New Testament. It does not reject the Old Testament. It fulfills it, right? Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. So he uses he takes that ritual Cleansing water, mm-hmm. which is really, I mean, if you think about it, what did, what did Jesus turn into wine? Dirty foot water. I mean, th- that's what the jars were used <laughs> for, right? To cleanse feet and pots and pans. But he, he takes that understanding from the Old Testament. He says, okay, this is how you've understood it. I'm going to take you somewhere new. Mm. But it's, he doesn't dump the water out. He uses that very th- reality as the foundation for a deeper, much more profound understanding.
1: Mm. Are you ready for our next question? I suppose so. This is from a listener named Maria. Hello, Maria. Maria says, I've been a follower of your talks and publications since a Catholic friend gave me a copy of The Good News About Sex and Marriage years ago prior to meeting my future husband. Wow, that's fun. Since then, I've recommended it to engaged couples throughout the years. Thank you for all you do
0: to promote the
1: beauty of sacramental marriage.
0: You're so welcome.
1: I'm a Catholic wife and mother of three living children. My husband and I suffered an infant loss and two miscarriages after our firstborn. I'm sorry. Mercy. We've been married for 12 years, and we've used NFP for the majority of our marriage. I needed time to heal emotionally from the losses and felt that charting enabled me to not only space our children, but to identify the cause and treatment for our losses, which yielded the blessings of two more healthy births. Beautiful. I became an NFP instructor after having our second living child. At that time, I began to use NFP more conservatively, meaning that we only used infertile days, and because I had short cycles, we would abstain during the first half of each cycle. I had essentially closed off any possibility of using fertile days. In hindsight, this was the beginning of my own contraceptive mentality. And since I was teaching engaged couples, I was proud to say that my three children were between three to four years apart and that the system worked well for us to avoid pregnancy. The truth is that NFP for us has, has become a cross because of this mentality. Now, in my early 40s, I see how this NFP contraceptive mentality has affected our marriage negatively over the years, Mm, mm. and I'm grieving missed opportunities for happiness and additional blessings. Mm. I've been to confession and was advised to begin anew, but my husband continues to feel wounded and expresses it in the form of distancing himself Mm. and lacking in affection. Do you have any thoughts about how we can rebuild our marriage?
0: Wow, wow. I'm very moved by Maria's insight into her own marital journey, which only comes by real soul searching and real honesty. And I just want to commend you right away, Maria, for that for going on that journey. The light that is evident in your in the very way you you put your question is evidence that you've been on quite a journey. Thank you, Lord, for those graces Mm -hmm. in Maria's life. So many graces. I want to say this just first, and then I'll uh, address more specifically the question. I want to clarify this for our listeners in general, that the problem that Maria is describing should not be attributed to natural family planning itself, but rather, as she said, and I know this is Maria's understanding, I just want to clarify for all of our our listeners that the problem here is not that Maria and her husband practiced natural family planning. The problem is rather that, as she admits, a kind of contraceptive mentality crept in to their practice of natural family planning. Now, that's an expression you'll hear in NFP circles and you know, Catholics who, who believe the church's teaching and want to live it, there will often be, and understandably so, and properly so, warnings against using natural family planning with a contraceptive mentality. It's it's a little bit of a problematic expression. I know what, what it means, I know why people use it, um, but I'm also remembering something Dr. Janet Smith said years ago about she said, We want to be careful about using that expression, because if a couple really, really and truly has a contraceptive mentality, well then they would use contraception. So a couple who's using natural family planning, but with a contraceptive mentality, again, I know what we're getting at, and what we're getting at here is one can use natural family planning without having just reasons for spacing or avoiding children. And I think that's what's really going on in this marriage. I think that's what the pang of conscience that Maria and her husband are feeling, is that they ended up using natural family planning, but in retrospect, they're looking back and saying, I don't think we actually had just reasons to be avoiding children. And now there is understandably a regret that for however many years in their marriage, they might have had the opportunity to have other children, but because they were abstaining during the fertile time, they have not had further children. So again, some people call that using natural family planning with a contraceptive mentality. I prefer to say using natural family planning without having just reasons to be avoiding children. Wendy, do you want to say anything about that before I... I jump ahead to the other part of her question.
1: I, I would just add that I think when people use that expression, yes, they're they're acknowledging a lack of just reasons. I think they they're referencing the mentality of our culture toward children, and um, maybe even a step back before you ask, do I have just reasons? Is what do I even think? Of the gift of life coming from our union, yes, yes, yes. do I think of that as something that I need to dominate and control and um, just like a, almost like a faucet that I can turn on and off right, at right. will? And I think that sense of finding that level of confidence in your ability to control your um you know, your reproduction could also be contained in that yeah, expression. Yeah, I think you're right. Think and you're that, right. that, that, that's, that's also, uh, you know, an outlook that is connected with contraception. And I think, I, I feel like that's part of what Maria is talking about. Yeah, too. I think
0: that that could be a valid use of the term or the expression using natural family planning with a contraceptive mentality, uh, I just want I just want to be clear that we know what we're saying and what sure. we're not saying when we use these words. That, and I
1: that people who've misused NFP have not committed the sin of contraception. Correct. correct. I think that's maybe yes. what you want to be sure we're not yes, c- confused about.
0: Yes, because the sin of contraception is to engage in the act of intercourse, but then do something else to render that act sterile, right? Couples who use natural family planning never, ever, render their sexual unions sterile. What they are do, or what they are doing, is accepting that there are times of natural infertility. That God, God, that's the key point. God has written into a woman's cycle, and to receive that from God's hands is very, very different than grasping at infertility yourself. Right. So that's that's the key distinction. Um, the, and the point here is one should never be abstaining from intercourse for selfish reasons, right? And I think maybe that's what Maria and her husband are realizing. We we may not have been, as I was saying earlier, might not have had really legitimate reasons for abstaining from intercourse. And now the question becomes, how can Maria and her husband heal? Mm-hmm. And Maria raised a uh, further pain that her husband is feeling this wound and his response has been to to distance himself from his wife from maria that 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 adds to the pain right whenever there's sin in a relationship and and i'm I, i'm going to you know refrain from you know rendering some judgment myself about whether or not you had just reasons to be avoiding a child. I'll leave that to your own consciences, but it seems from what you're saying Mm -hmm. that you are indicating that you do feel a pang of conscience here, that you may have had a selfish mentality. Selfishness in this sense is is a sin, and sin causes a rupture. Sin causes a distance. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And the solution to that shouldn't be a further distance. The solution to that should be a coming together more closely. And, Wendy, you and I have experienced this, that when we've wounded one another and caused hurt, caused pain, it's very understandable that a distance is there, because that's what sin does. It causes that distance. And for a time in processing that pain, maybe that distance is even necessary. But eventually, we've experienced this as well in our married life, that as we open that pain that we've caused one another to the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit into that pain. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of unity. right? The Holy Spirit is the unity between the Father and the Son. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit is the unity of the Trinity. And... Holy Spirit is the unity of husband and wife in the sacrament of marriage. As we let the Holy Spirit into that pain, the pain itself, and this is kind of a a paradox, but the pain itself becomes a profound source of unity. It becomes a unity in suffering. Um, I'll, I'll, rather than speak of situations where you've caused me pain, Wendy, I don't want to put you on the spot here. If you want to talk about that, that's fine. I'll just speak about times I've caused you pain. I have seen you needing space, needing to process it. And I say this with honor and deference and reverence for your heart, Wendy. I know you process things in a, it takes a while. Takes a while. Oh, yeah. For you to process things.
1: Slow processor.
0: <laughs> Slow processor. And I've learned how to just reverence that and give you the space that you need. But I've also seen in your processing, I've seen you open the pain I've caused you to the Holy Spirit. And I have seen that draw us closer together in a communion in the pain, communion in the wound. Why did I cause you pain? Why does anybody cause us pain? We cause each other pain because we're in pain. And I I really believe this. When, when, When I'm causing you pain, Wendy, when anyone is causing another person pain, somewhere in that person's heart, the pain causer, in that person's heart is a desperate cry. Will anyone, will anyone share my pain? Will anyone enter with me into this pain? It's a desperate cry of the heart for communion even though it comes out in in a horrific, twisted, messed up way sometimes. Nonetheless, in the mix of all of that messed upness is a genuine, desperate cry of the heart, will anyone share my pain? And Wendy, I've seen you. I've seen you, and not just seen you, I've lived through it with you. I I have witnessed and experienced your saying yes. Over months and years of processing painful things, you've said, yes, I will share your pain. And that has become a profound place of communion. That's the hope I want to hold out to Maria and her husband, that the very pain that is right now causing distance opened up to the Holy Spirit can become a source of a much deeper bond, because the Holy Spirit is the bond of husband and wife. And that's the mission the Holy Spirit is on, to deepen your bond.
1: hmm Maria, as we started out, just um, thanking the Lord for the graces that you have received in looking at the years of your marriage. And there's a a beautiful humility that you have um, expressed here when you talked about um, having been closed off, having been proud, Mm. um, having mm, wounded your husband. You know, it's not... It's not culturally acceptable to say those things. So, I mean, congratulations in in the really true I'm your sister and the Lord saying that, you know, you have received grace and recognized something that's hard to recognize in your own heart. Um, I think there may be more. And I think that could be a hard thing to admit that, Lord, this was hard enough, (laughs) you know, to recognize these things. Really? Could there be more? Well, yes, there could, um, because the evil one just loves to find all the ways he can to bring that separation into our marriage. And as you are desiring this greater unity with your husband, please know the Lord Mm. desires it infinitely more. He Amen. desires that for you both. And He is at work. It's not all up to you, Maria. It's not all up to your husband. It's The Lord is also at work. And I think we need to just um, take time to be open and trusting in Him and open to Him, especially showing you more things about your story, showing you both more things about your story. Christopher and I have um, really benefited from an approach to our painful memories that have been wounding to us that we've learned about simply the healing of memories. And the idea of that is that the Lord is the Lord of all time. And even though something seems that we've gone a wrong direction in the past and we we can never get back there and take a different direction. Well, we can't, but we can allow the Lord to take us to times in our past that wounded us and bring His grace into our story and help us to see how much He loves us and experience His compassion for our weakness and His um, ability to, as they say, write straight with crooked lines, to bring good out of things that were not objectively good, but he's so faithful. I mean, that's what he came to do. you know, to bring good out of the cross is really to bring good out of anything um, that is our own sin and the sin in our relationship. So um, I really, I think that that's a journey that you and your husband, need to be open to, and that that could come in the form of of counseling, or um, is there any book on healing of memories you'd like to recommend? Um, I'm suddenly throwing a question out to Christopher here that I don't know if he's ready to
0: answer. Uh, I, there, I, a book that does come to mind that I read a couple years ago that was really, really, really rich experience for me in looking at some of my painful memories is a book by a priest named Mark Foley, that's M-A-R-C-F-O-L-E-Y, Mark Foley. And he is not just a Catholic priest, but he's also a psychologist. And this is a book looking at John of the Cross's experience of the Dark Knight, but from also a psychological perspective. Mm. The book is called The Dark Night, and then the subtitle is psychological experience and spiritual reality. We'll put a a link to this book in the show notes. I found it really really helpful in looking at some of my painful memories that needed mm. needed a deeper yeah. healing. Yeah. So that's the one that comes to my mind. Yeah. And and there's there're lots of great books by uh Dr. Bob Schutz. um The Healed Be Healed is one uh be Restored is another one. Uh, we'll, we'll put some links to Bob, Dr. Bob's books as well. Mm. W- w- another thing that came to my... I- I'm sorry, am I cutting you off? No, go ahead. A- another thing that came to my mind is, as you were talking, Wendy, about just the healing of those memories mm-hmm. is something that my spiritual director has said to me that I found very helpful. When there's been some situation where my own pride or my own selfishness has gotten in the way and caused some problems in my life. He'll say, ask the Holy Spirit for the instant replay. Mm. And by that, he means go back, let the Holy Spirit take you back to the time that sin got in. Uh, and, and as Maria says, they started off with, with legitimate reasons, right? She talks about her emotional well-being that mm-hmm. was a, as a very legitimate reason mm-hmm. to be spacing births. But then there's a, there was a point in time where, where a different mentality crept in. And I would invite you, just as my spiritual director invites me, ask the Holy Spirit for the instant replay. Yeah. Where did pride or selfishness or, or whatever other mixed motive got, got in there? Ask the Lord to show you where that was. And the Lord will show you not to condemn you, not to shame you, not to scold you, the Lord will show you to redeem you, and to put you on the path of understanding and recognizing how sin can work on us, also for your future. I have found that so helpful, doing those little instant replays when when the Lord shows me where it came in, I said, like, ah, oh, that prepares me in a future sense for being aware and, and smelling it, like you can you can begin to sense ah this is where i was prone to letting my own sin come in before i can smell it now i can see it now and i'm prepared not to let it in this time mm. so we hope that's helpful to you maria please be assured of our of our love and our prayers and we ask all the listeners out there please pray for maria and her husband yes.
1: our next question is from a listener named mariana hello mariana in a world of so much confusion about one's own image, gender, belonging, how can we, mothers and fathers, nourish our children's identities, their hearts, their knowledge and experience of who God really made them to be?
0: Woo! that's a biggie. <laughs> uh, we we would have to devote a, like a whole series of episodes to mm. to give a thorough answer to that question and not that we would have the definitive answer on, on this I, I don't mean that at all. We should probably have our children come on an episode sometime and talk about <laughs> talk about the ways we've messed them up through our own broken humanity um, <laughs> Oh but you
1: know she's she's I-, I love this wording nourish our children's identities, hearts, Knowledge and experience of who God really made them to be, like that's like a mission statement of parenthood, that is pretty isn't good. it? You're <laughs> it's right. Really beautiful. That is good,
0: and <laughs> and our, our kids would also, I'm sure, have lots of things to say about ways we've we've sincerely tried to to do that. Yes. To foster their hearts, foster their, to nourish. Say it again. I want to hear it one more
1: time. <laughs> nourish our children's identities, hearts knowledge, and experience of who God really made them to be.
0: Love it, love it, love it. Well, I can just speak from what you and I, Wendy, have, have tried. Our children are now 25, 23, 19, 16, and 14, so there's a, a gamut there. But we've, we've always tried in our family prayer, you know, and when they were littler, littler, is that a word, littler? It sure is. More little, littler, er, littlester. Just littler. It was littler. fine. It, just did, it kind of rolled off my tongue in a strange way. It sounded like not a real English word. Littler. When our children were littler, it still doesn't sound like the right word. Is it right? <laughs> <laughs> when our children were smaller, how about we go with that one? I love it. <clears throat> we would tuck them into bed, and we would always pray, and I'm sure... Every one of our five kids could say this prayer. They know it by heart because they've heard it thousands of times. Uh, We would pray something like this. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for making mom to be a woman and making dad to be a man. Thank you for calling us to the sacrament of marriage. Thank you for bringing John, Paul, and Thomas, and Beth, and Isaac, and Grace into the world through mommy and daddy's love. Thank you for making John Paul and Thomas and Isaac to be boys. Help them to grow into strong men to give their bodies away in love. Thank you for making Beth and Grace to be girls. Help them to grow into strong women to give their bodies away in love. If our boys are called to marriage, please prepare them to meet their future wives and bless those young women or girls, I guess they would have been, Bless those girls wherever they are out there, and prepare those girls for meeting our sons. Uh, If our sons are called to marry the church as priests or as religious brothers, please prepare them for that vocation, that way of giving their bodies away in love. If our girls are called to marriage, please prepare Beth and Grace for their future husbands, Please bless their future husbands out there, wherever they are. Uh, If they're called to marry you, Jesus, directly as a religious sister or as a lay consecrated woman, please prepare their hearts for that bodily gift of themselves in that way, that womanly gift. So, this was the kind of language that was a normal part of our raising our children. that they, that they came from me being a man and from Wendy being a woman. They came from our love for each other as husband and wife. Uh, and that God created them to be a boy or created them to be a girl for a purpose, for a reason. And that their very identity is rooted both in God's love for them and in our love for them. Mm-hmm. That their identity as a male or a female, a boy or a girl, is something that God desires, that He planned, that He wanted, that it has a meaning, that it has a purpose that encompasses the whole of their lives, right? They're boys growing into men, and they will live out their vocation as a man, as a, as a gift. They're called to be a gift, to give their bodies away in love as a man. That our girls are called to grow up into women, to give their bodies away in love as women. So this, this I, I think, you know, and it's not, it's not like that's the whole answer, but that language and that prayerful uh, approach to sharing that language, I, I know it had an impact in our children. Um, some of them, if they were listening to me explain this right now, they might roll their eyes because <laughs> it became so, like every night. Now- okay, and here comes. Dad, he's going to say that same <laughs> prayer again. And I get that. That's fine. I don't care if they, if they roll their eyes. I was going to inject it into the bloodstream day after day after day, and it, it may not pay its dividends for, for years to come, but I trust that that was a seed that got planted that will will mm. bear its fruit. Mm. What do you want to share, Wendy, from our experiences yeah. as, as parents here? I,
1: I just, I want to add that when our children were that age, what the culture was a little bit different than it is now so we have parents of young children now facing even more confusion and here's what I want to say to parents is that somehow the culture is trying to tell us to somehow be suspicious of our trust in reality yeah yeah that somehow um if we are just kind of saying something like a marriage is when a man and a woman give themselves to one another for life that somehow we should check ourselves are we you know being um not inclusive of all people yeah, are yeah. we is that offensive language and i think it's so important to be rooted in the truth not to have that be a source of stress, but to, to be comfortable with, yes, all, there are all kinds of ways that children are picking things up from their environment yes, as yes. they're very small. And you do not have to over uh, um, emphasize that marriage is between a man and a woman, because if the stories and the life they're living is already showing them that, uh, the stories by that, I mean, like, like literature and 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 things that you're sharing with them then they will develop a sensitivity to question if they encounter anything contrary
0: to that. Well, that's a great point right there of sharing good art with children.
1: Right. Exactly. So, but but I I I'm, what I'm trying to get at is like I think we can risk creating confusion if we if they experience a lot of anger in us when when topics related to masculinity and femininity come up and it's understandable that we could feel angry because the culture is assaulting us and anger is a yeah, yeah. is a defensive like response to that but i think for children growing they just want to feel safe and secure mm-hmm. and the the truth of love and God's plan is a safe and secure thing. It's not a thing to be angry about. So just to respect the stages of growth in children, to provide them that wonderful soil of just the beautiful stories of living life as, as uh, you know, A boy or a girl growing up, experiencing challenges and relationships, faith, all of those things are such a nourishing gift for them when they're very small. As they get older, they will encounter things that seem contrary, and and they'll come to us. They come to their parents to explain it, to not be afraid of their questions and not be concerned that um, you aren't prepared. You know the truth. You you know your children's hearts, and I would hesitate for anyone to say here's the one size fits all way to approach this because your children are unique and you are unique. But that faith and truth that's in your minds and hearts will inform the answers to the questions as they come up, and to experience your children as gift, and to um, let them know that they're a gift is like the joy of being a family, and they Mm. pick it up. You don't have to have it in words. If it is your life and your heart, they will feel it and know it. So it's not that I'm discouraging words, but I just don't want you to underestimate the value of being deeply rooted yourselves and having that inform the way that you respond to them in all kinds of situations.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought up that reading literature, like you, in a particular way, your one of your great gifts to our children has has been reading lots of good literature, and I have seen how that has formed and shaped our children's hearts and imaginations. Uh, one of the gifts that I've brought in a particular way to our children is love of music and movies. Mm-hmm. Music, movies, and literature huge, huge part of our of our family culture and and within that uh, almost every single art form takes up the battle between good and evil right superhero movies and the star wars trilogy and well it's, it's more than a trilogy now but from my childhood it was just the trilogy you know th- those things got into my my psyche and my imagination about the battle between good and evil and i wanted to participate in this battle between good and evil And I think it's really important that we frame for our children in the right way at the right time, depending on their age, that the battle between good and evil is being fought in the world today over the truth of our creation as male and female. John Paul II says that the union of man and woman brings us to the very heart and center of the battle between good and evil, between life and death, between love and all that is opposed to love. I think it's really important again, depending on the age of your children, that will, you know, it'll be different how you present it. But our children need to know they're in a world where there is a battle between good and evil. But that battle has been fought and won. It's been fought and won at the cross. And the cross, as St. Augustine said, is a marriage bed, right? It's critical that there is a male on the cross and a female at the foot of the cross. This is absolutely essential to the whole of our faith, maleness and femaleness, because our bodies tell the divine story. So, I mean, immerse yourself in this theology of the body, and, and then draw from it in the way you, you raise your children. Mm-hmm. And here I will invite parents to check out, as part of the patron community, check out the series that Bill Dunahy did for parents and teenagers yeah. on the Theology of the Body. And if you are not already a patron, a member of our patron community, please please go to the link in the show notes and sign up. It's only $10 a month. You'll have access not only to that series for parents and teenagers, yes. but you'll have access to a great many series, uh, catechetical series, where we unpack the theology of the body in very practical ways. There are a number of retreats also on the patron community to help us heal from the wounds that we've experienced. So check out all of those wonderful resources at the patron community. I hope that you will find that helpful. And uh, another thing we can do to make this world uh, more open to the Theology of the Body is to share this podcast. Mm-hmm. So if you were blessed by something you heard today, could you please hit that share button and help us get the, the word out about this podcast? We'd be very grateful. Keep the questions coming, and patrons, don't forget, you can submit your questions at the patron website, and you guys get priority as the first question we address each week, and you're in a much smaller pool so the better chance that your question will be answered as a patron. Uh, anything you want to close out with, Wendy?
1: I don't think so. I think uh, it's time for the final closeout.
0: Right. Why don't you do it then?
1: Remember that you are a gift.
0: Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute, with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they're not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.